All right, welcome, friends. Good morning. Uh, great to see you and worship with you. For those joining on uh, newlife.nyc, YouTube, Facebook, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life here in Queens, New York City. And if you're in this room here and we've never met before, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. I would love to uh, meet you, get your name before you head out, so please make sure uh, you say hello. We are uh, at Palm Sunday today, and next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and I just want to uh, mention uh, we have two services, and uh, it is pretty evident that next week is going to be very crowded at church, and so I want to encourage some of you to consider attending the 9 a.m. service uh, next week. There'll be just a little bit more space at 9 a.m., and so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Secondly, I want to encourage you to come to church on time. Say amen, somebody. Uh, come to church on time. Here's why. Because it's going to get very full, and then we're going to have overflow spaces, and then someone's going to be upset on Easter Sunday that they're going to be in the overflow. There's nothing we can do about it, uh, but just try to come uh, to church on time. And the people of God said, uh, amen. I feel the spirit moving. All right. Uh, Matthew 21, you can follow on the screen or follow in your Bible. We're focusing on Palm Sunday today, which begins Holy Week. And my hope is that we would pay attention to the ways Jesus wants to meet us. Uh, throughout the course of this week, we gather with the church around the world and recognizing uh, the most significant uh, week in human history. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 11, hear the word of the Lord. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out uh, on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, speak to us now through the power of your spirit. We give you thanks for Holy Week and all the ways that you long to come to us. And so give us ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, and a heart to receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's a story about a five-year-old boy named Sam who had a sore throat one day and wanted to stay home from church. And the Sunday that he decided to stay home was on a Palm Sunday. Uh, he stood home and his father decided to stay home with him while his mother, Sam's mother, and two of his siblings went to church without them. And when the family returned home, 
Sam noticed that they were all carrying these palm branches. And he asked his mother what happened at church that day and what these palm branches signified. And mother responded, well, today is Palm Sunday. And when Jesus walked by, everyone waved palm branches over him and shouted, Hosanna, praise the Lord. And this little five-year-old thought about that for a moment and said, great. The one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Today we begin Holy Week. And we begin with a story that in the Gospels lots of people have trouble with. But at its core, it's a story about how Jesus shows up. A surprising story. An unexpected story. And what it means for our lives. You see, what we learn on Palm Sunday is we get lessons about the kind of king that Jesus is. And the kind of people that humanity is. The story picks up at Passion Week. Up until this time, Jesus has been healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching about the kingdom of God. And there's a particular trajectory to the life of Jesus, a particular direction that he's heading in. He's talking about the ways of the kingdom of God. And for the disciples who would hear Jesus use that kind of language, they thought that what that meant was there was a new social and political reality that Jesus was about to usher in. And so they are looking with expectation. They're looking with anticipation, noting the way he's been healing, noting the way he's been preaching, noting the ways he's been talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. This might be a moment of culmination. This might be a moment of climax. Finally, God is going to do what we believe God was going to do for a very long time. And so hundreds of thousands of Jews would gather together at what was called this Passover When they celebrated God's deliverance from the hand of Egypt, they would celebrate together. Think about New York Times, uh, New York uh, uh, Times Square and New Year's Eve that would be uh, filled with celebration. This is what was happening during the time of Passover, remembering the ways God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. But what they recognize is even though God did that back then, they find themselves under a new kind of Pharaoh named Caesar. And they're longing for God's liberation, longing for God's salvation, longing for a new social and political reality in their day. And so here they are, people that are tired, worn out, without a shepherd. And as the event goes on, as the Passover feast goes on, Jesus enters the scene. And what I want to do is highlight a couple of things about Palm Sunday that really tells us about the kind of king that Jesus is. And about the kind of humans that we are and what God invites us to. And to uh, uh, express some of my points, I want to highlight two particular things in this story. I want to focus on Jesus coming in riding on a donkey and the people waving their palms and singing Hosanna, shouting Hosanna. Jesus on a donkey and the people waving their palms, shouting, Hosanna. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn from our lives? Jesus on a donkey, the people waving their palms. The first thing I want to focus on is Jesus on a donkey. Jesus arrives at this festival on a donkey, and there are two reasons why Jesus does this. The first reason is given right in the text. 
And the text, it says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. This is what Jesus is saying. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. By the way, you can't use this line uh, wherever you want. The Lord, the Lord needs it. Just give it to me. It's not going to work that way. Verse 4. This took place. Why did Jesus do this? This took place to fulfill What was spoken through the prophet, this is in the book of Zechariah, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus riding on a donkey is, points to the prophetic message in the book of Zechariah. That as the people of God were awaiting the Messiah, awaiting the chosen one, awaiting the Christ, they were looking for clues that he was near. And because they read their Old Testament, they're always looking for signs of the Messiah. And when they see Jesus coming on a donkey during the Passover feast, they begin to realize something is up. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so on one end of the spectrum, the reason Jesus is riding on a donkey is because this is a fulfillment of prophecy. There's a second reason, however, why Jesus is riding on a donkey. Not just for the fulfillment of prophecy but for the reframing of power. Fulfillment of prophecy and reframing of power. In Jesus riding on a donkey, he is showing us what kind of Messiah he is and reframes how we think about power and what it means to be powerful. For an incoming conquering king, they would typically arrive on a war horse, on a chariot, When Alexander the Great entered Jerusalem, he came on a magnificent war horse. And his entrance was impressive and essentially let people know, if you mess with me, you have something coming your way. But when Jesus arrives in the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, he doesn't arrive on a war horse. He arrives on a donkey. A slow, unglamorous, unimpressive donkey. It's probably the ancient equivalent. Think about Inauguration Day for the President of the United States. Imagine if the President is riding on a moped. You know what I'm saying? Just riding through Washington. It'd be very strange to see that. Jesus arrives on the scene on a donkey. And through this act, Jesus is doing something here that we dare not overlook. He is redefining what true power is. That's what he's doing here. Redefining what true power is. You see, true power is not found in our ability to crush our enemies. True power is not found in our wealth. True power is not found in our ability to control everything around us. True power is not found in our capacity to avoid suffering and to avoid vulnerability. No, in Jesus we find that true power is found in humility. 
True power is found in vulnerability. True power is found in loving well. And we often have a problem in our society delineating what is powerful and what is not powerful, actually, as it pertains to the kingdom of God. For the world standards out there, we know what's powerful and we know what's not powerful. But we don't have the same kind of discernment as it relates to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is upside down. What's powerful in the world is weak in the kingdom of God. And what's, weak in the, and what's, what's powerful in the kingdom of God is often weak in the world. And so we, we don't tend to be so discerning as it relates to power in the kingdom, but power in the world is actually clearly evident. And so I want to prove it to you. I want to play a game called Powerful, Not So Powerful, okay? And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show a, uh, an image on the screen, and I just want you to shout out, if you think it's powerful, just shout out powerful. And if it's not powerful, just, you know, not so powerful, okay? We're all good, very clear. Uh, it, it'll probably get clumsy and all that. It's all good here, okay? All right. uh, and so the first thing I want to show you, the, the sun, the sun. Powerful. It is the most powerful thing in our solar system. Yoda. Powerful. A Nerf gun. Not so powerful. A cat. Judgmental. That's what we're looking for. That's the word we're looking for. Amazon. Your wallet knows this. Your, your bank account knows this. Very powerful. A Ford Mustang. Powerful. A 1988 Nissan Sentra. Not so powerful. This was my first car, by the way. This was my first car. When it didn't work, I just picked it up and moved it to another. You know, to, uh, La Chancla. This is real power right here. All power and authority right here. And if you're like, what's this about? You're blessed. You're blessed. <laughs> we have a very clear way in our society of understanding what's powerful and what's not powerful. Not so much in the kingdom of God. And we need lots more discernment in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene riding on a donkey, for the world, it does not seem to be powerful. Yet in the economy of God, in the way of the kingdom of God, this was true power. And so Jesus on Palm Sunday, is re, he's fulfilling prophecy and reframing what true power is. And Palm Sunday invites us essentially into two things. Palm Sunday asks us, will we live according to the world's definition of power or will we live according to Jesus' demonstration of power? Will we live according to the world's definition of power or will we live according to Jesus' demonstration of power? And how we understand power is one of the most significant indicators for a life of joy, for a life of peace, for a life of love. 
If true power is seen as the number of people that you are over, it's not the power of Jesus. If true power is seen as the number of people that are following you on social media, it's not the power of Jesus. If true power is seen in your ability to suppress all kinds of challenging emotions like sadness and grief, it's not the power of Jesus. If power is seen as getting people to do what you want them to do, it's not the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus is weakness to the world. And so we must ask, who is the most powerful in the kingdom of God? And to answer that question, we look no further than Jesus Christ and his teachings. Who is the most powerful? The most powerful are those who understand how very weak they are. Those who live in vulnerability. Those who live in servanthood. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are marked by forgiveness, those who are gentle, those who are not defensive when criticized, those who love God and love neighbor as themselves, those are the most powerful people in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, when he arrives on a donkey, he's reminding us that gentleness and humility and love, that's power. That's the kind of stuff that transforms society. That's the kind of stuff that changes hearts. Gentleness, humility, love. Jesus comes in on a donkey to fulfill prophecy and to reframe notions of power. And so that's Jesus riding on a donkey. That's the first part of Palm Sunday that I want to highlight. But there's a second part that teaches us about humanity. Jesus riding on a donkey and humanity waving palms and shouting, Hosanna. Again, crowds of people are everywhere. Jesus comes in on the scene. And as he comes in on a donkey, people are placing branch palms in front of him, waving them, and shouting, Hosanna. And in order to really understand the significance of what they're doing here, we need a short history lesson. Because unless we have this historical context and background, we're not really going to understand why they are waving these palms. And so a quick history lesson, 150 years before Jesus, a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus led the Jewish people to victory over what was called the Seleucid dynasty. And after leading the Jewish people to victory, crowds celebrated this guy Judas and their victory by waving palm branches in the air. And to commemorate the victory... Judas, Maccabeus, stamped an image of palm branches onto the coins. And so whenever they were dealing with money, they were reminded on a regular basis of the victory that they received in that time when they waved their palm branches. And so 150 years later, when the Jewish people are under foreign rule, they wave their palms in the air. And wave them like they just don't care. (laughs) And when they wave their palms in the air and saying Hosanna, which means save us now, they're essentially saying to God, to Jesus in that moment, Lord, would you rescue us? Could you save us? Could you bring liberty to us? And so these palms and these Hosannas, here's the good part of it, and then there's a bad part to it. 
The good part of waving the palms is it speaks to our real human deep desire for salvation. That all of us, whether we know it or not, whether you're religious or not, whether you come to church all the time or whether church is new for you, all of us have a deep desire for salvation. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's met by people who are tired, oppressed, confused. For far too long, they've been in a particular social situation. Another foreign ruler has come into their land, and they are captives in their own home. Imagine for a second someone coming into your home uninvited, taking control of everything in your apartment, everything in your house, and then you have to live under their authority day in and day out. You would want freedom. You would want salvation. This is essentially what's happening to the people in the land. They're crying out But what they recognize is they don't have the power to free themselves. They need a power outside of themselves. They're not wealthy enough. They don't have enough connections. They're not powerful enough. And so they're longing for the promise of God's Messiah. And so the palms that that they wave in the air is them saying, Lord, we need salvation. And we're too weak to do it ourselves. And this is something we have a hard time admitting. This is something we have a hard time confessing. They wave their palms, they sing Hosanna as a means of saying, we confess we're weak. We confess we don't have it all together. We confess we need a power outside of ourselves. And so one of the core messages of Palm Sunday is coming to a recognition That we don't have the ability to solve our deepest problems. And on a regular basis, we are confronted with our powerlessness. But be of good cheer. Because when you confront your powerlessness, you position yourself to receive the power of God. This is why I love things like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. It's a vulnerable environment in which people... Admit to their powerlessness. And it, it was, it's Christian in origin, AA and NA. And it gets to a point where, where they say, you know, at the, the first step of AA is we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. That our lives had become unmanageable. And listen, that's how it begins. Maybe alcohol is not your struggle, but we all have a struggle. Maybe it's we admitted we were powerless over sugar. Amen, somebody. And that our lives had become unmanageable. Admitted that we were powerless over our addiction to our phones. And our lives had become unmanageable. We admitted that we are powerless over the choices of our children. And that our lives had become unmanageable. Admitted that we are powerless over anxiety that we feel. And that our lives had become unmanageable. At some point, we are faced with our powerlessness. And in the kingdom of God, this is a wonderful opportunity to position us to receive the power of God. Over the years, I've said, you know, I, I have interesting conversations with people who, uh, who, who don't like religion or Christianity 
Or it's not they don't like it, it's just not for them. And the, the rationale for it is Christianity and religion is for weak people. And it's a crutch for weak people. And whenever I hear someone say that Christianity is a crutch for weak people, I tell them straight up, you're wrong. Because Christianity is more than a crutch for weak people. Christianity is a wheelchair. It's a stretcher. It's a gurney. It's a hospital. It's a hearse. Christianity says you don't have a limp, you're dead. But God can make you come alive. And so, it's for more than weak weak people. It's for dead people. And the sooner we admit our deadness, the sooner we admit our powerlessness, the sooner, amen, we admit our weakness, we position ourselves for the power of God. The world says, conceal your weaknesses. Don't let anyone see your weakness. Which is why we get all fancy on interviews. When I remember being interviewed or, or you know, go through, and someone says, hey, what's your weakness? And I'm such a perfectionist. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm just so weak. I just, I just like to be perfect with everything. And, and, and I'm just so, I'm like, really? And it makes sense. What were they going to say? You know, I don't come to work on time. I, I sleep on the job. I steal staplers. It's just like, uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. But the world swings the pendulum the other way and says, conceal your weaknesses. And so what happens is instead of waving our palms, we hide our palms. And the church is notorious for hiding our palms, for coming to church. How are you? Blessed. <laughs> well, good morning to you, brother. I didn't ask all that. I just said <laughs> And we're loud about it. But in fact, Every single one of us at some point in this year or another, you're going to struggle. Can I get a witness here? You're going to have a bad day. You're going to be depressed and not know why you're depressed. You're going to go revert to old patterns of thinking and old patterns of being. We're weak, which is why we pray this prayer of confession on a regular basis to remind ourselves we're in the same boat needing the grace of God for our weaknesses. But the first part about these palms is they wave them. And that's an indication for us to wave them as well, an invitation for us to wave them as well. Lord, we need your salvation. I can't save myself. I can't save my marriage. I can't save what's happening in my job. I can't save what's happening in my own soul. I need help outside of me. And the hope is that we will wave our branches. But here's the challenge of waving the palms for them 2,000 years ago and for us today. You see, waving their palms is a good thing, saying salvation. But when they were waving their palms, what they were also trying to do was to control how salvation looks. Control what it looks like to be saved. Control the outcome. And so... The palms speak to our human propensity to want to control God and control the outcomes of our lives. Remember, 150 years prior, Judas Maccabeus led them in a particular way. 
And so they're saying, Jesus, what Judas did, we want you to do the same thing. But Jesus refuses to be coerced and refuses to be controlled. And what Jesus does is he continues to ride on, riding on to the point that leads him to a cross. And it is so confusing for the people because he was supposed to go to a coronation, but he ends up going to a crucifixion. But here's the problem that the world doesn't see. His crucifixion is actually a coronation. He is now becoming king in a way that would just mess up their expectations and what they anticipated. And what Palm Sunday reminds me is this. Even though you cannot see what God is doing, doesn't mean that God is not working. Even though it doesn't seem like God is active in your life. Palm Sunday reminds us God is often working beneath the surface in ways that we cannot see. And this is why we gather at church on Sundays to have our faith stirred and our imaginations informed by the Gospels that remind us on Monday you might not see God working and on Tuesday you might not see God working and on Wednesday you're still questioning whether God is real and on Thursday you want to give up on the whole thing. But on Sunday we gather as the people of God to be reminded, amen, that God is moving and working but in ways that we can never imagine. You see, they wanted freedom from Rome. And Jesus said, I'm about to give you freedom from sin and death. I'm about to do something on a much deeper level than you're anticipating. And that's what Palm Sunday reminds us as well. The kind of salvation that Jesus wants to give us is something much deeper, much, much deeper than we're often longing for. And so the invitation on Palm Sunday is to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Palm Sunday reminds us that God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And we gather to worship this surprising unexpected, unanticipated Jesus who saves us and rescues us in ways that go beyond our wildest dreams. And the invitation really is twofold here before we worship and sing. For some of us, we need to take the palms, as it were, out of our pocket and begin to wave them before God and wave them before one another. Some of you have been suffering in isolation. Some of you have been struggling alone, ashamed to share about your struggles, ashamed to talk about the challenges of relationships that you're experiencing, ashamed to talk about the repeated patterns of behavior that you find yourself in week in and week out. And you've tried to fix it yourself, tried to get over your addictions yourself, tried to solve problems yourself, But you can't do it yourself. You need help outside of yourself. And today's an invitation for us to take out our palms and say, I need salvation. And the thing about the scriptures is this about salvation. You go, well, Pastor Rich, I'm already saved. I'm a Christian. But but in the Bible, there are three kinds of salvations. The Bible speaks about people who have been saved, 
are being saved and will be saved. That's the scope of salvation. And so even though you might have said yes to Jesus Christ, you still need to be saved. And the truth is, you look at the problems of the world, the entire world will be saved at some point. But all of us, Christian or not, religious or not, today, Jesus wants to rescue us once again. Rescue us from self-sufficiency. Rescue us out of despair. Save us. The question is, will you take out your palm and wave it? But secondly, will you open your hands before God and say, Lord, your kingdom come. I'm not going to live manipulating and coercing and trying to make things happen in my way. Your kingdom come. And as we offer ourselves to the Lord in this way, I trust that the Lord will surprise us with grace, with mercy, with a perspective that maybe we haven't had before. Let's pray together. God's ways are often much deeper than what we see. Where do you need salvation? Where do you need healing? Where do you need reconciliation? The Lord is here. And he longs to pour out his life and love on you right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we confess we're tired. We confess we're often confused. We confess that we tend to be riddled with shame and with guilt. And in these places, you long to meet us. And so teach us, Lord, what it means to walk in the way of humility vulnerability, gentleness, for that's the kind of king you are, and that's what you invite us to as well. We sing to you now words of praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. The blood that shed for me way back on Calvary the blood gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power
Amen. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my right. Every time we end our gathering in prayer, it's our way of giving you an opportunity to wave your palm branch and say, I need rescue. I need help. I need support. I need strength. I need wisdom. I need God. When we pray for one another, we open ourselves up to an expression of the Holy Spirit and the immediacy of the Spirit of God when we pray for one another. And maybe you came in here weak, and God wants to fill you with strength. Maybe you came in here confused, and God wants to grant you clarity. Uh, and one of the ways we receive this is by praying for one another. And so as the Lord leads you after my blessing, if you just need someone to pray for you and pray with you, we love to do that. Uh, some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in this building here, maybe you're watching online, and there's never come a point in your life when you said, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. I want to receive forgiveness of sins. I want to be baptized. I want to give my full allegiance to him. And if you've never said that, but maybe something's bubbling up in your soul, there's two real quick invitations for you. You can text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And if you're sensing something bubbling up in you, I made a decision to follow Jesus as a 19-year-old some 24 years ago, and I was in desperate need of God, and God rescued me and filled my life with joy and peace and and turn my life around. And maybe you've been looking for something new that your heart's longing for. We want to serve you along those lines. Whether you text there, if you're watching online or in this building, or whether you come up for prayer, we want to serve you as best as we can. At the end of our service, we'll have a sermon discussion time for those of you online. And so feel free to click uh, that link there if you want to just connect with others. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing to do. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Our hands in this posture is a hand of receiving. The world lives with closed fists, manipulating, unopened, fixed. For the follower of Jesus, for the person who wants to live in the way of the kingdom of God, our hands are open, saying, Lord, we want to receive. We only can receive what you give. And out of that, give to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit waving your branches, confessing your weakness, crying out for help. And may the God of all goodness surprise you with his grace, surprise you with his power, surprise you with his wisdom. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the surprising name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.